Welcome to Roots and Ruminants, your podcast for creative and innovative use of farm, pasture, and rangeland. We're going back to the basics of raising and grazing livestock, growing your own forage, and practical land use. All right, welcome back. We are at it again with Roots and Ruminants. Jared and I are sitting down and probably have the most popular guest we've had. Uh, Don't want to build you up too much, Zach, but I think it's the truth. Uh, we got Zach Smith, and uh, we've got the, the the stock cropper with us today from Buffalo Center, Iowa. And before I let you really introduce yourself, Zach, I'm going to read the first paragraph off of your website homepage because I think it's probably an awesome summarization of what you're doing. It's probably going to set the stage pretty cool. So here's what it says. It says, stock cropping is a dynamic farming system that combines livestock and crop production so that multiple species of plants and livestock can coexist in the field at the same time. This allows us to harness the natural cycle of plant-animal ecosystem to grow healthier animals, healthier soils, and a lower carbon footprint. That's good stuff. I think this That's fits good. really well with everything that we talk about with this podcast. So, Zach, um, yeah, introduce uh, introduce our <coughs> listeners to the stock cropper and who you are, where you're at, and what's going on with you. Sure. So, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, so I'm Zach Smith. I'm a fifth generation farmer from uh, just east of Buffalo Center, Iowa. Uh, my backstory is um, kind of like a lot of people's uh, in the in the egg business. I, I graduated Iowa State University. I uh, grew up on a corn swimming uh, operation um, just outside of Buffalo Center. And for the last uh, 18 or 19 years, um, I spent my space in egg retail in various forms. So uh, I met Justin uh, when I was uh, working at a place called Osmus Farm Supply. I was there for 11 years and uh, was a, a crop protection and uh, certified crop advisor, sales agronomist uh, for that operation and sold a lot of herbicides and fungicides and insecticides all over kind of Iowa, Minnesota, uh, the Dakotas, uh, that, that thing. I did that for a while and uh, then wanted to go off on my own and um, secured a Pioneer Seed dealership and uh, and then built on with that with other various uh, agronomy offerings, chemical fertility recommendations, cover crops, soil sampling, all that stuff. And um, did that and that was a really, really successful business. And then when uh, 2020 came and corn prices, bean prices were in the toilet, um, I was still farming on the side of the other businesses, but I was really questioning why I would continue farming when um, the future looked really bleak. We were still kind of in the throes of the, the trade war and the consequences of that. And uh, I just didn't know if it was worth the time. And so me and a couple other buddies were trying to come up with <clears throat> an alternative way to rise our revenue ship on the farm. You know, we, And uh, we were focused around this concept of strip intercropping and trying to introduce relay cropping into strip intercropping. So corn and then say like do a, a barley uh, soybean relay in, in between to get the revenue high up or to try to match the revenue where, that you get with corn bump with uh, that production style to be able to match the revenue in between. And then that's where this idea came from of, well, what if in, instead of growing plants in between corn and strip intercropping, what if we put livestock? And it was an idea that was, uh, <clears throat> I uh, always tell people it was uh, <clears throat> fused out of uh, drinking whiskey uh, on a Friday night, uh, one of my buddies, uh, Lance Peterson, had the idea about putting a pen of sheep in between the corn. And uh, and I thought at first it was kind of a stupid idea, like who would ever do that? And then we started uh, talking with another friend, Sheldon Stevemer, 
the next morning and we're like, well, what if it was everything that is missing in my, our opinion of the system where we have a whole cacophony of livestock or a cornucopia of livestock, I should say, where you have multiple species and they're in this intelligent device that kind of parades them through the field. Um, and so you get the benefits of all, you know, the ruminant and then the monogastrics trailing behind and, uh, and then you grow super high production corn in this strip intercrop system. And so that's, that was how uh, it was birthed. And uh, we produced our first uh, mobile grazing barn unit that we call a cluster cluck. The cluster cluck 5,000 was the first one. And we launched that in June of uh, June of 2020 and uh, put it up on Twitter and YouTube and, uh, I guess if you're calling me infamous, that's how we got to that state of uh, sharing it on social media. <laughs> and uh, but uh, but yeah, so we've been doing it for four years now, and uh, built a lot of different cluster clucks, and uh, learned a lot, and met a lot of cool people, and um, I'm just kind of excited because the the whole premise of why we want we were kind of tired of seeing you know the I mean this the path that egg is on is a path you know we we talk about the funnel all the time, and if people have heard me talk, the funnel of consolidation where we're getting fewer and fewer producers out here, that's really going to ramp up when the baby boomers, uh, you know, fully retire the next probably down cycle that happens with commodity prices. And there's just going to be a lot fewer people out here. And, and we see what happens in our, you know, in the communities, the schools get smaller, they go away, fewer businesses, um, you know, and our soils are continuing to, to degrade. I mean, we, you know, we've lost, you know, uh, half of our, a third of our topsoil, half of organic matter in the last 120 years. And like, we wanted just to try to create something that could be maybe uh, the, the yin to the yang of the current system where we maybe have a system that would require more people to be involved uh, in ag and have less uh, deleterious impacts on the land and water. And uh, that's really what we think we've come up with stock cropping. It's, it's incredible. So I was actually showing, I was excited when uh, Justin told me you're going to be in the podcast. And I told uh, my wife, Katie, I said, Hey, I said, you got to watch this YouTube video. I said, we got to look at one of these nanos, look what they can do and everything. And she's like, Oh, like, where can I get one? Like, I, I want one right now. Like, like immediately. I was like, I think there's a waiting list. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's a waiting list, but if there's not, I'll order one on the podcast. So <clears throat> this is officially Jared and Katie not putting in an order for a, a nano at, at, you know, your earliest availability. Absolutely. So I will, I will lock that in. Yeah. No, the waiting list is still Perfect. there. We're still, uh, I'll just say it up front. We're still uh, <clears throat> finishing prototype development on a couple of the different models, but uh, we're getting closer. It takes, takes a lot of money and time to do this and I'm still yeah. farming full time. And so, you know, yep. juggling it still as a one man show is, uh, is a lot, but we're getting closer. So but yeah, I think once people, uh, you, once, once you're, you know, at full production, people are gonna, once you get these spread out through the countryside, um, it's gonna, it's gonna take off like wildfire. I mean, just even just the, the hobbyist standpoint, right? Like we're just yeah. to have it around, like we've got, you know, a dozen laying hens, 20 laying hens now, but they're just stationary. They're sitting out the chicken coop. You know, we, I told uh, Katie, like, this would be absolutely perfect for our bottle lambs for you operation, like put our bottle lambs in a very healthy environment where they're not, you know, going to get stagnant. They're already a little health compromised because they're not on mother's milk anyway. This keeps mm -hmm. them really fresh and clean underneath. And then the girls can haul a little water out with a ranger and feed bottle lambs. And like, so it worked perfect for us. So. Yeah. Yep. Lot, Zach, can, lot you, can you paint that picture of, <clears throat> of the actual cluster cluck and like, and then talk through the evolution of them and, and just the opportunities with it? Yeah. So the, the, you know, the first, 
the first cluster cluck that we made was was made to go into strip intercropping. And I should explain that if you don't know what I'm talking about to the listeners. Strip intercropping is the practice of planting alternating strips of, like, say, corn and soybean typically is what is done in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason you do that is you get the edge effect on the corn, which can boost corn yield, and the beans take a little bit of a hit. But the idea is that it raises all ships with the increased corn yield. Um, and so what we wanted to do was make a barn that would go through a 20-foot lane. So our first barn uh, was, I think, 18 feet wide. And and it uh, when I say it's a barn, there's kind of a central barn that has a covered roof and a structure. Uh, the roof actually is inverted, an inverted V like you see on the logo on my shirt here if you're watching the video. And it collects its own rainwater, so when it rains, we can uh, fill our water tanks with an inch of uh, a rainfall water event. It's got uh, the the first barn was divided in the middle, so it had a, a nine foot uh, in, indoor pen on raised tenderfoot flooring for the hogs to be on one side and the sheep to be on the other side. In front of the the barn, there was a a grazing pen for the sheep to go out. So the sheep were the first thing to come in contact with the pasture as it, as the barn would move itself, and then the the hogs would trail behind and they would have the ability to get out and be on the soil in a pen behind. And behind that, we had a hitch hooked to a 18-foot-wide chicken tractor so that we had, um, you know, the first year we had sheep and goats in it. So we had four different species of livestock and uh, and moving through. And what we, how we moved it was with a winch uh, the first year. We just had a, a winch off of my strip-till bar that we uh, put a battery on and hooked to a tractor as a dead weight, and we just moved it several times a day that way. That was uh, that was the first uh, version of it. And then in 2021, we partnered with Dawn Equipment to help us automate um, and, and construct the first stock cropper Nano. And the Nano was a two species, so small ruminants and then followed with poultry. But that's when all the technology came on, so solar panels on top, electric drive motors, battery storage, um, onboard uh, com- computer control, GPS pucks for auto steer, cell modem to communicate, uh, and then we, we created the Cluster Cluck app to be able to control it. Um, and uh, we also created in 2021 the Max 9, which was a takeoff of the X9 combine from John Deere because it was our biggest one. It was a 30-foot version, 30-foot wide, that had cattle out front and then hogs in the back because we had a lot of people said, well, could you do cattle with this? And I don't. I mean, so we did it. I spent a bunch of PPP money uh, on building the thing, um, and but it was it was so stinking heavy. I don't know if cattle are really that much of a fit. I mean, if you had some you know smaller breeds, you know like Highland cattle or something, and you were a hobbyist, and uh, yeah, it could maybe work there. But uh, so we did a, a yeah. cattle hog barn, and uh, and then we came out. Uh, uh, the next version was the uh, Nano 2, which was uh, a redesigned, uh, much, much better version of uh, the original Nano, much lighter, much more nimble. Um, and then this last year, uh, I worked on developing what you were talking about. I think one of our, our biggest <clears throat> chances, not wouldn't necessarily be within the stock cropping system, but a, a solar-powered, battery-operated backyard chicken Roomba. So specifically just for... Uh, you know, like hen lane production or people wanted to grow their own broilers, what I call kind of the protein sovereignty market of what I think our business will be for people that just want to grow their own protein and probably process it themselves because the processing piece is really limited. 
just, but you know, numbers that people could handle on their own, or, you know, maybe it's a a version of that, that you could put just a couple pigs in, um, instead of trying to feed the world, you know, a product line set up on just feeding your family, you know? So that's kind of the the spectrum of the cluster clucks as up to today. So, yeah, I might've confused those models a little bit. So yeah, thinking the the mid-sized one, so the sheep out front and then the laying hens in back is kind of. And, and Justin and I were talking a little bit. I was uh, chat with him a few days ago. I was thinking, I was like, even our like our perennial field borders, like our grass alfalfa mixed field borders. I mean, we got a quarter mile long driveway with, you know, with hay ground on both sides of it. Instead of mowing that first, you know, six foot mm-hmm. pass on the drive, I could just run that thing up and down the driveway, you know, drive by it five, six times a day and check on stuff. And well, that's just do that instead of mowing. One of the things that we talked about a lot uh, as farmers that came up with this was like, you know, your headland production sucks so much usually, you know, from traffic and compaction and running mm-hmm. stuff down instead of, you know, growing 100 and, you know, 50, 80 bushel corn on the headlands to a system like this. And I mean, the, the dollars per acre uh, exponentially better in a situation like this. So, yeah. So let me, let me back up a little bit and you kind of uh, touched on this a little bit, but I saw your Posted some pictures over the weekend. You butchered hogs over the weekend. Is that right, Zach? Yeah. Yeah, I've been for the last, like, I think it's 12 or 13 years. Uh, every uh, every year we uh, we grow, you know, grow our own. And now we just pull them out of the stock cropper barn. Uh, but we've been doing that. And, uh, yeah, it kind of goes to this protein sovereignty lane that I'm, I'm talking a lot about. We're uh, getting together forming community, having, bringing people in. I had two new, two brand new people that never butchered came in and I, I taught them how to do it. And, yeah. you know, they, they took their meat home and filled their freezer for the winter. So. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, I think it's, in, it's incredibly empowering. Are you, uh, have you read Wendell Berry much? Have you read Unsettling of yes. America's Act? Yeah. Some. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 So I think there's that, that chapter, I think it's chapter three or four where he goes into the the sovereignty of man, you know what I mean? And the, the, the needing to feel accomplishment from, from your own, you know, your own labors. And I, I think that there has been, despite its um, perceived success, there's a lot of modern agriculture that has kind of a, this emptiest empty type feeling within it because you are the goal of, of agri, like of, I think the dream of like being a, a farmer rancher was this independence and, and you don't mm-hmm. achieve that independence unless you're fully capable of providing for your most basic needs. So regardless of your, of your wealth and the extent and how much, you know, you can borrow with your operating note or how much land you own, if you're still dependent on others for basic needs, uh, like food, uh, you haven't achieved that level of independence yet. I mean, you're, you're, you're chasing it in the wrong direction almost. Yeah. And I think, I think in this business, I think there's a lot of people that if, you know, the EMP happened and the lights went out that a lot of farmers that couldn't figure out how to feed themselves because we're just as dependent on going to the grocery store. You know, 70, 80 years ago, that wasn't the case because we had a culture around, you know, farms, you know, farms would still get together neighborhoods and butcher and, you know, grow their own stuff. And it's just that's just not the reality of, of life in 2023. And so that's, that's where I, I really think, and, you know, especially after COVID, like our timing with COVID coming up with this idea was really good. You know, some of that interest has waned as far as like, you know, that stuff a little bit, but it's still definitely there. And there's a lot of people, you know, that want to get out of the cities and come and have a simpler Mm -hmm. life and like get their kids off devices and do real things. And that's one of the things I see, like for, you know, people that have an acreage, um, and are interested, 
uh, in, in going down that path. I want to, you know, I, mm-hmm. I see ourselves, you know, creating the devices and then also giving the, the follow-up support to help them, you know, be protein sovereign and, and, ha- and get through that experience with, you know, us, you know, kind of guiding them along. So. Great. Yeah. That's such a hard, um, hard concept to get your mind wrapped around with the advancements of technology and the, the advancements of civilizations to hold on to the simple things that ground you and to minimize the things that, you know, take hold of you and get rid of your freedom, but still move forward with technology. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I kind of, it, it makes me think of like your advancements of the cluster cluck, right? You have autonomous machines that you can control with the device. Yet yeah, they're still getting rid of, grounded. uh, you know, some of the, you know, talk about the protein sovereignty and stuff like that. I mean, it's getting you grounded to the land and getting you involved in agriculture. Yet you're still holding on, or at least you're moving forward with some technologies. Well, that's the thing. Like, you know, what's the crappy part about having livestock, right? I mean, I, we had a feral to finish operation when I was a kid and like, you were just married to it all the time. You couldn't, there was, it was hard to go on vacation. You had to get somebody lined up to come take care of your stuff. And especially now, like, I think, you know, neighborhoods are more disconnected way more than what they were, you know, when I was a kid. Um, and even in town, you know, a lot of people don't know their neighbors. They don't talk to them because you just not, you don't have that codependent. So like one of the things when we're devising these things for people is like, if you still, if you've never had livestock and you want to go to the lake on the weekend, you know, or go to the campground or whatever, like it ha- you have to have a, a way for to manage that. And so that's why we're setting these devices up to catch their own rainwater, be able to be loaded up with feed and water and exist and move themselves autonomously, you know, for two or three days at a time without having to having to be checked. And I, I think that you have to you have to meet people where they are. Um, and that's. You know that's really what we're we're thinking about when we're coming up with the design concepts for what we're building next. So, Perfect. yeah, that's so tell me about, uh, who I just go ahead, Jared. I was going to redirect back into. Tell me about Buffalo Center and tell me about you know you talked about rural revitalization, um, and how we go about that, or even actually even playing some defense would be a good start. Um, so we don't have a continual loss of people off the land. Tell me about uh, Buffalo Center. Tell me about your small town, uh, where you live now, what what it looks like now versus what it looked like 20, 30 years ago when you were growing up, um, and what you see the future to be like. Yeah, no, uh, I love my little town that, uh, that I'm from and, and proud to be from it. And it's uh, it's done remarkably well as far as holding on. Um, we have, we've had a couple uh, new businesses that have come in to Main Street over the last 20 years that have helped stabilize. I think would have happened. Uh, they weren't agricultural businesses. Um, there were other types of business that, that came in, but uh, um, really made a difference in helping retain some good quality young people. But the, you know, the reality was, is when I was a kid, uh, you know, f- I think 45% of my class uh, or 50% of my class uh, came from a working farm operation, not like a hobbyist thing, but like they made their money and, and typically, uh, you know, a one income household and, uh <clears throat> You know, and, and so that was a, a class of, you know, 63 at that time. And so, you know, you know, roughly half of us uh, came off the farm and, uh, you know, that was just a different thing. The culture and the values, you know, they were all independent, you know, business people as farmers at that time. You know, the the livestock thing hadn't been gone to the, uh, uh, you know, paying things off the acre, the uh, 
uh, the pig space or, you know, the poultry space or whatever. Um, and so, you know, there was, there was independence, uh, and there was, you know, a lot of family businesses, kids, kids involved with operations. And it was just a good culture to raise people. I feel like I tell people all the time, I feel really lucky to grow up when I did and where I did because it's not the same anymore. If I look at, you know, I went in and talked to the FFA class at my kid's high school last spring. And like, I went into the egg classroom and how many of you do any of you live on an active farm? Nobody in the class of 20 kids come from an active farm. You know, they're there because they're maybe interested in in FFA and the things that come along with that. Mm -hmm. But it's, uh, but you see, I think the difference of, you know, the, the quality of, of culture and, and the buy-in into the community when you're not interlinked, you're not interdependent like that, that farm network was. It's still, you know, there's still some of that there, but it is not the same. A lot of people like to espouse that, you know, it's, uh, it's still the same as what it used to be to hang on to that. But it really isn't, in my opinion. And uh, it's because, you know, we've gone to, you know, now we've now we don't farm in just a, a township. We farm in three counties, you know, and we're spread out and. Uh, even myself, I don't really associate, I, I operate amongst three communities now because of mm-hmm. uh, where my business is and my farm is spread out where my kids go to school. Um, and so a lot of things have changed. It's still a good place to live, but it's definitely different. And I, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, it's not sustainable long-term, I think, to stay on this path where, uh, you know, to continually lose fewer and fewer people and have uh, worse and worse options as far as, you know, keeping schools open, food deserts, the impacts of that on rural communities, um, you know, a lot of it. And so that's where, uh, you know, this idea of, of trying to come, I mean, when we came up with the stock cropping system, the idea was uh, have a system that was economically vibrant enough so that you could farm a couple hundred acres and do this and make a good living rather than having to try to farm, mm-hmm you know, 10,000 acres to make a living. So, I mean, I could go off on tangents all morning about this stuff, but I, I really feel strongly like getting back to basics um, is going to be really, really important. Well, I think so truly like our, um, I'd say grandparents, especially great grandparents wore themselves out on the farm, like just wore (laughs) out joints, limbs, everything, worked themselves too hard in an unhealthy manner to try and exist. And so there was, there's a real reason why we tried to do labor saving technologies in agriculture, but now we've gone so far that our biggest challenge, health challenges are obesity because we've removed so much labor that now we have to like wake up in the morning and plug in a treadmill and buy electricity to move our fat asses in the morning because we don't have any labor to do on the farm because everything's done by diesel fuel. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's... how would you balance that out a little bit? Like an hour of chores in the morning would probably be good for us. Pale chores, you know, square bills, that kind of stuff would be a healthy balance to the rest of our day of tractor driving. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's where, you know, that's like, you know, we have to chore every morning and we're paling stuff because we don't have a feed right. system that can, you know, you know, like if you had a scaled system of stock cropping, you know, take care of 30 barns. And so it is good to, 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 to be physically active and moving more so than what we do. Um, you know, in the business. And that's, I mean, my dad was always in good shape, you know, had being a, being a livestock guy. Mm -hmm. To your point though, he's got a lot of shot joints, you know, at, at the age of 72. And so, yeah, I think there's a a healthy medium where we can at least be aware of, of the need, need to move, uh, but move smartly (laughs) and intelligently, you know, so, so we don't end up like my dad at 72. Yeah, I think it's a balance. Yeah, correct. Right. 
Yeah, that's a healthy balance. And it doesn't have to be, again, this can be, you know, a, you know, what you're talking about system can be a tool to, to try and make a go of it in a direct market value added high end um, market of, of marketing protein, a couple hundred acres, or it could just be, you know, keep your 10,000 acre farm, just create some balance in, in life, teach your kids some things, get more connected and make, do some experimenting on your own that you can look at doing things on a scalable level. It doesn't have to be a, like I said, anybody from a backyard to, you know, a sizable farm that's just looking for a, Hey, maybe I should, maybe I should try and raise some of my own food here. Um, so I'm not completely dependent on the grocery store the next time the, you know, next generation COVID hits and everything stops. again. Right. Yep. hundred percent. I agree. I, I think that the, the, the greatest social experiment of all time was the U S homestead act. I think it has really never been fully replicated anywhere on the globe in its overall um, distribution of, of a singular asset into multiple parcels, you know, pretty evenly throughout. Mm -hmm. And then I see pretty, I see pretty good risk that in the next generation that areas will move back into a feudal system where there's a few land barons that control almost everything. And then there's, you know, communities of of trailer houses and low income housing where people that have no chance of changing their, not saying no chance, very little chance of being in a landowning class ever again, uh, live in. And I, you know, there's some communities west of us I could point to that say kind of already there. Yeah, and, I was going to uh, say, I don't like, think I it's don't, a great social fabric. I, yeah. You're not, well, I don't think we're far from that now. I mean, I look at, in, you know, I'm 44 years old and, uh, you know, been going, watching land auctions over the last, you know, couple months or last year. And like, you don't see 44 year olds buying land. It's the, it's this, you know, 60 to 70 year old that's, uh, you know, family already owns a couple thousand acres. They got this equity ball. And how do you compete against that when you got to go to the bank? And that's the other, I mean, that's, that, that's a different mm-hmm. dynamic than there was uh, 20 or 30 years ago, because there were a lot of guys that were my dad's age buying land, you know, in the, in the late eighties, you know, early, early to middle nineties. I mean, a lot of, and yeah. you just don't see it anymore because they're, the, the concentration is getting, you know, we're just a few families, um, you know, own a township, you know, essentially because, uh, and they just kind of go back and forth and everyone else is, is squeezed out. And, you know, I, you can't be grudging for that. They've been successful and that's the way the, the game is set up. But uh, you're, I think you're hundred percent right that, you know, and that's really the conundrum now is like try to find the labor, you know, to, 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 to keep fuel in these farms. If there's just going to be in the hands of a few and that's, that's going to be a, you know, autonomy is going to try to fix that. But I, I think that's going to be a, a tough sled here for the next, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that go wrong that, uh, the human factor helps solve. And, um, so we'll see what happens there, but yeah, yeah, I agree. The autonomy is going to work fine until there's unforeseen ravines and wet holes and, and trees that fall. I mean, there's just all kinds of things that can happen in a field and the equipment's so expensive that you screw up a million dollar piece of equipment to the tune of a couple hundred thousand dollars and you just paid, you know, a couple people's full-time wages for years right. in right. one bad wreck. So right. It actually would have to be significantly better than human, human operation, which is, which is technically possible, but, uh, it's not going to be that way right out of the gate. Right. Right. I keep going back to this thought of if it wasn't for the temptation of entertainment, 
and the world being a worldly bigger world, we would this this whole concept of growing food for you and your community and being engaged in your community would be so much so much easier, right? But because we know what's out there and we always strive for something bigger and further away and like I mean you take that 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 thought and you break it down to like your kids' activities. You know, like when you were in high school, you you played the communities and the towns that were closest to you. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's not possible. So you're going further and further away. So now mm-hmm. in order for your kids to be in activities, you have to be able to travel, which takes money and mm-hmm. food out and hotels out because you, you can't even you can't even compete against the communities that are closest to you. So you're going further and further away, right? Mm-hmm. And that is an entertainment temptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, vacations, like you mentioned going to the lake, all these other things that we know are out there that we think we have to be a part of. If it wasn't for those things and we could be engaged by our neighbors and take yeah. care of the things that we were doing at home with growing our food and taking care of things, man, how much, how much simpler would that be? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, you know, but I remember, I remember being a kid and being, I think it's, I don't know, envy is a powerful thing. And I remember, you know, there, there would maybe be one family that had a lake house, uh, when I was a kid growing up that people were you know, jealous of and wanting to get to go and do that. And now it seems like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that, you know, have places on lakes or, you know, campgrounds or things like that, that, that pull people away to go have that sense of community. And I, I, yeah, I think, you know, you can make community wherever you want to. And I think we've gotten away that there's somehow that, you know, we've, we need to drive six hours to have stuff meaningful. Um, and, you know, it's meaningful to have good relationships with people that are close to you because when it hits the fan, that's really, that's really what you need. And, um, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to, uh, I think people had the perception that it was going to be better, but I don't, I don't see how it's better or more efficient. I, we waste a lot of time and money on that stuff when there, there are opportunities, you know, right next door, uh, or, or closer, uh, to actually have real connections with people too, you know? So, yeah. Same thing. When we do our butchering, <clears throat> our pig butchering, we'll usually do a few lambs and stuff too, but it, we'll get, it's like the whole family comes together and we usually kind of make it like we'll do Christmas in the morning. And this year, the way our hog churns are going, it's probably going to be more like Valentine's day or something like that, that we're going to spend all butchering together and the kids all help. And there'll be, you know, 15 cousins and all my siblings and their, you know, in-laws and everything else. So it's a, it's a great time. It's a great time. And it used to be like, that's, those things happened all the time. You're putting up apples for cider. You're canning green beans. Mm-hmm. You're putting up sweet corn. Like there was all, you're butchering chickens, you know, in the summer at the end. There was all these moments where we all collectively gathered as a family and neighbors to like put up food together because you needed help and mm-hmm. you shared in it. Um, and now we just do all this stuff in like cold isolation, right? Yep. And we buy it from a, a sterile, you know, grocery store with a perception of, of increased quality. Um, and it just, yeah, it just really, uh, it, it sucks that that's not a, a prevalent thing anymore. It's kind of, like I said, we do some of it or two, you're doing some of it, but it, um, I can really see that there's a lot of in- neighborhoods that are relying on memories of community of 20, 30, 40 years ago. When you talk to older folks, they'll, they'll talk about that. I was like, well, where are those memories from last year? Right. What, what, what parallel can you give me to what you did last year that resembles some of the, your fond memories of community? from 30 years mm-hmm. ago and it's it sucks when they really don't have much of an answer yeah yeah it's you're 100 percent right 
uh, on it. And I, you know, <clears throat> I think, I think, you know, society has convinced itself that, you know, that entertainment and this instant gratification stuff is, is more important because it's more accessible. You can pick up a phone, you can, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can have that stuff. So, so readily easy. And this stuff that you're talking about, like your family deal, like it's work, it's an investment. I mean, I just got done butchering and I mean, it was, it took me three and a half days from the time I started with setup to clean up and then getting, you know, finishing up some of the processing. I had to make my brines and my cures yesterday and it's, it takes a lot of time and it's not something I can just click on my phone and check Facebook and be entertained and then go on to the next thing. But right. I mean, it's, it's meaningful. It's a lot, a hell of a lot more meaningful than liking somebody's thing on Facebook to interact with them versus having, inviting somebody to come teach them a skill, talk about life, have conversations like this while you're doing stuff instead of, you know, uh, communicating over a phone. Right. I think that's that's another piece of this that you know you learn how to communicate when you're with people for a couple of days at a time and and work and learning how to work together yeah. and you know do this type of stuff and um, yeah it's 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 kind of a lost uh, people reminisce and they kind of pretend like it still exists but you just don't it it doesn't happen you know but pe- people used happen. to bail hay to get, you know together all time and uh, mm-hmm. you know that that's gone. That's been, I mean, that was gone when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I was one of the last ones at square build around here. And, um, yeah, just a lot of these, uh, institutions that brought people together have kind of withered away for the sake of progress. So, so if you're the, if, if you and kind of us by default, are a little bit younger, but with the last generation that grew up, because when I tell people I grew up, you know, we milked a hundred Holstein cows, you know, we had a small beef cattle operation, small sheep flock, Ferret out 40 sows on dirt, um, you know, had this diverse rotation of crops that we kind of still maintain today. Um, people think that that's literally like a, a hobby old McDonald's farm. Like we were doing it for the fun of it. I was like, oh, it was, it was like all hands on deck. Like mm-hmm. let's try and pay the bills this month type grind it out work. It was not, none of it was done for fun. I guarantee you that mm-hmm. um, just the, the nature of the eighties anyway. Uh, but yeah, no, no one's growing up like that really anymore <laughs> in that kind of a diverse situation, um, mm-hmm. building those skill sets out, which is, which is fine. Cause I, I don't, it wasn't an envious existence. It was really tough and really hard. It wasn't because of the diversification it was because of the dynamics. Maybe the diversification allowed us to gut it out when so many didn't, I'm not sure. Um, but the, yeah, I, I just, I almost, I don't, I don't feel bad because it wasn't an enjoyable experience from a financial standpoint. It was super stressful. At the same time, like, I guess I feel bad the idea that there's not kids that know how to put on a set of milkers and, you know, take care of, you know, a cow that has milk fever as well as, you know, how to, you know, pull, pull baby piglets out of a sow and give them iron and clip eye teeth and all this kind of skill sets. Like I, I wish there was so we're trying to, we don't, we're not that diverse anymore, but we're trying the best we can to, to make sure that the kids have kind of a diverse outlook on livestock species and different crop types so that they don't come up with a, you know, very monolithic view of, of what agriculture is and what skill sets they should have. Well, I think to that point, I think one of the things that we've lost is just accountability, you know, in, in kids and having like, that was the great thing about the farm is that, you know, I remember, mm-hmm 
when I was a kid, many times, you know, I would screw up or I would, you know, my brother and I forgot to fill the feeders and my dad would come down and he'd get out of the field at 1030 at night and come home and see they're not fully pull us out of bed. And we were 10 years old and we went out at midnight and we filled those damn feeders. And you learn the lesson that you put a priority on the things that are important. And then you're, you know, your ass is in a sling when it doesn't happen. And that's, you know, one thing with my kids, I've been really, you know, I mean, I was the I was the worst dad in the school because I actually had standards and accountability. And that's if you don't have <laughs> instruments, you know, to really reinforce that, um, like like you do on the farm, you know. And I mean, you look at the responsibilities kids had, you know, I think back to like my grandparents generation, like they were doing a lot of stuff at a really young age and really depended on um, to so that the family could survive. And there's just no sense of yeah. that. And I think that's one of the issues. If, if you don't, you know, if you don't learn that accountability early, I mean, that's what I see now. I you just see a lot of kids running around. They have no sense of direction or purpose or uh, yeah. they just, they just think things fall from the sky and, and uh, they're not earned. And, and that's, that's one of the things that I see like within the rural community. That's, that's a lot different because just of the way our, our ag systems are set up where kids really aren't needed as much anymore, you know, and like you maybe don't want to put a eight year old in a, in a million dollar tractor or something like that, you know, uh, like I did. I mean, I started you get those when I was videos, though. You get it. Yeah. 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 I guess they've got farm sim now, so, um, they can learn accountability there. <laughs> yeah, but when you see those things that those accomplishments that are earned with your kids, the you know the self confidence that they gain, I mean that's mm-hmm. that's the best thing in the world, you know. So it it is. I mean, you you always have to go through some sort of struggle to feel yeah. something really good in life, yeah. and that's exactly what you're teaching your kids. Well, and that's the thing so that society's important. gotten. I mean, we we think that everything needs to be comfortable. You know, things should. But you know, nothing good comes from being being comfortable yep. all the time like you've got to go through that that hurt and that pain to get anything good and i it's just i don't know i think it's not just ag i think society as a whole you know tries to protect everything and uh, yeah it's just for the birds it's why we're ending up where so we're true. at right now anyway i want to go back to like what what are you seeing for like if you're starting with a cl- cluster cluck how do you recommend somebody to start off with uh, which class of livestock? Like, do I buy a 60 pound feeder pig knowing that I'm going to gain three pounds per day? I'm going to have eight chickens. Like what are those parameters that you give for people for advice of what livestock to use? Well, I think if you've never been around it, um, you know, it's probably best to stop, start off with something easy. Um, and that would be, you know, like a single species like poultry, uh, poultry or, or, are really really easy to uh, to handle um you know they're they're not gonna you know hogs can be more destructive um they're tougher to handle they can get out um but yeah i would start with poultry either layers or broilers uh, layers are really really simple uh, you get the eggs out of it it gives you know your kids something to be able to participate with um if they get out or you have a problem it's not going to be the end of the world in that type of a uh, situation but from a stocking rate you know it's like well what do you think you're going to consume you know we have so i've got 12 um, layers uh, to get that give us you know roughly roughly 10 to you know 11 eggs a day usually and uh, you know we've got a family of four and we eat a lot of eggs and so we try to match the, the animals to what we consume um you know if <clears throat> like 
we grow a, a pig, pig and a half a year. Uh, that's what we consume through our freezers. Uh, so we, we just kind of match, uh, uh, you know, match the cluster cluck or what you want to, you know, you need for a device size to what, you know, what you think you're going to do. If you're going to make it a community deal and you want to, uh, you know, bring a bunch of people together, uh, you know, then maybe a bigger barn, um, you know, like our cluster, original cluster cluck 5,000, we've got uh, 10 hogs set up for 10 hogs and that, and that type of a setup. So, um, you know, match it to your needs for what you want to consume or what you want to consume with your, your neighbors, uh, you know, or your community. So, Yeah. Do, do you uh, do you send people out? Have you started a to try to build a culture or you know a group following around this? Is there a a newsletter that you get if you're a former customer with you know recipes on how to prepare a whole chicken you know you know butchered at home or you know a backyards magazine that goes with it? Or are you are you yeah. heading that direction or are you just that's like the same no that's, sales? that's yeah so we're not there you know like so just to be clear like we're not. <laughs> we're getting very close to being able to start putting the barns out but what you just said is exactly what needs to come along with it because you can't just get this device and have livestock and then like if you have no experience with it you have to have that backdrop and so i see that there's going to be a a like you know a stock crop or starter kit you know that um you know uh where do you get feed like what you know uh when the animals are this size, what do they need? You know, like a lot of these people are going to be doing this for the first yeah. time. And so there's going to have to be a whole educational um, suite that comes along and support, uh, support type products to make it easy for folks that don't know um, how to access this stuff. Uh, so they have a really, really good experience. So yeah. Uh, you know, YouTube uh, newsletters, uh, you know, all of that stuff, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, and maybe we have, uh, you know, sessions in the summer where people come in and, um, you know, learn how to do one of the, one of the ideas I've had for a long time is to actually have like a, a, a butcher academy where you come in for a weekend and, you know, learn how to do this with train, you know, trained, uh, trained butchers um, to kind of get you, get you started if you want to do, you know, like a lamb or a, a hog, which is, you know, more intensive than just doing a chicken uh, or something like that. So you got to teach them how to, I remember when we were butchering, we do it a little bit different now. We just kind of throw them, but we don't do as many. Uh, when we were doing hundreds of broilers each year, we'd have the, the two by six with the, the empty milk cartons with the top, the bottom cut off, nailed on there in between two trees. And so then you take the chicken, you put it in there and you push the head through the, the spout where mm. the milk comes out on the milk carton. And then you can just go along there and just do like 12 at a time. Just like, it was yep. really pretty slick. And so now when I see people buying like these like fancy $40 a piece stainless steel cones that do the same thing <laughs> that they'll use once a year that are going to get like dirty as hell. I was like, oh, this is this is such an easy homemade deal. And then just burn it when you're done and make another one next year. <laughs> you know, yeah. And wash it. Right. Right. There's lots of little yeah. tricks there. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Cool. No, that's so, great. Well, I was just thinking it's it's probably time to play graze it, harvest oh, it, yeah, rent yeah, it down, isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, absolutely. So, I've wrote a few things down, and I think we got to do this like uh, cluster cluck style. So we have to change the rules just a little bit, where you have to use the cluster cluck to graze it, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So you got to do that, but then you can still harvest one. And you can still rent one out if you're like, I don't want to touch that one. And if you if you want to harvest it, you can hay it or you can chop it or whatever. Makes so, sense. So, 
So again, my options are what? Harvest it, graze it, or, or rent it out? Yep. Rent it out, yeah. Okay. Take the money. Got it. Okay. Field number one, pivot corners or like field borders. Okay. Field number two, a solar farm. Field number three, since it's almost Christmas, a Christmas tree farm. So you have to graze one, you have to harvest one, and you have to rent it out. So you got solar farm, pivot corners, and a Christmas tree farm. So the solar farm, uh, I would graze it. Uh, that's one of the ideas is to put a cluster clucks through solar arrays so you can get livestock out of them. I think that offers. Oh, that's where my mind was going with that. I'm, I'm glad yeah. you brought that up. That's so. Can you expand on that? Like, what are you? What well, are your thoughts moving? Yeah, I mean, that? so you know, solar wind. It all has a lot. We have a huge power line. I'm looking at a mile, half mile north of my house. That there's a lot of development that is happening. It's a major line that goes to Chicago. And, you know, there's a lot of apprehension about taking land out of production for solar, which um, I, I understand all viewpoints. But one of the things I think that people failed is, like, you can still have agriculture within a solar farm. No, you can't take a DB120 and go across in between your solar panels with that. It would run them all over. But um, there are other things that you can do to still be a farmer and get, you know, the, the $1,500 an acre payment uh, from the solar easement. And then, uh, you know, have means in the contract where you can put something like a cluster cluck or graze sheep or something like that underneath to, to uh, actually be farming, um, you know, within the confines of a solar array and, and basically stack, you know, more enterprises. And that's one of the kind of things we didn't get into. But, you know, the, the thing that really makes the stock cropping system powerful is the ability to stack enterprises uh, to get the revenue up to a spot where you don't have to farm the entire count, you know, countryside. So anyway, so yeah, I, I would graze the solar farm and, uh, the, with the dry land corners, uh, I would harvest the Christmas trees and yeah. And screw the dry land corners. Uh, that's what I would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You could rent it out. You could put it in CRP, but it reminds me of a story of a guy from Western Nebraska I was talking to a year ago that told me the last time he put uh, uh, pivot corners in CRP, by the time of his 10-year contract was done, his taxes were higher than the CRP payment per acre yeah. basis in yeah. Nebraska. I don't have any... I, yeah, I'm like $78 an acre in taxes. I, I don't have any knowledge really of pivot production other than flying over it or driving by it in, in Nebraska. Um yeah, because we just, you know, normally we get enough rainfall here, so we have a little bit of pivots, but uh, mm -hmm. I really don't understand that that stuff that well or or, uh, or how folks even farm it. Well, Jared brought yeah. up the, Jared brought up the, you know, the notion of having the <clears throat> the end rows, field borders mm -hmm. being utilized with the cluster collect. Have you yep. done that at all with the pivot corners or is there any value there? Or, or field, you're talking yeah. about field borders a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think if you have rainfall, you know, that's the problem with the pivot corners is, you know, like yeah. this year, they all burnt up, you know, so like, but in, in, uh, you know, like if you look at, uh, farms that are along tree lines where you've got a lot of, you know, wildlife pressure, um, and the, the corn crop is destroyed or the bean crop, if you had a diverse mix of covers, you know, that were solid that, the, you know, the, the deer weren't going to take all of it. Yeah. That'd be a great opportunity to, to, 
run a cluster cluck, you know, along there to incorporate livestock. And yeah, maybe you don't do the whole field. Maybe it's just those, what are normal low profitability zones, um, you know, with uh, commodity farming, it's, it's a nice way to do it. But, you know, again, it, you've got to, it, it is work. It's different. It's not as simple as just planting a whole field to one thing. And, you know, you've got to be there to do it. So, you, you know, there's proximity to those places, you know, as far as making it easy for chorn and, you know, the logistics you have to set up. So, um, like this stuff is not simple. It's, uh, it is, uh, somewhat complex. We're trying to make these systems, uh, so, you know, to take away as many of the pain points of doing this. But, um, I do think, I mean, there's a lot of people that are interested and they kind of see the vision of what we're doing. We're, we're still a long ways from, uh, from having this thing hum, but, um, we've definitely touched on a nerve with, there's just a lot of different Mm -hmm. venues that we haven't maybe thought about normally within, uh, the egg spaces that, that these machines could be operated to create a lot of value. So, so I think it comes back, like you mentioned, you know, things can get to like, we've got to stay challenged and stay challenging ourselves. And I, a generation ago, we were losing young people off of rural America because of lack of economic opportunity, especially off of farms. I think now we run the risk of losing people and the brightest folks off of farms because it's not interesting enough. It's not engaging enough. It is, you know, a, a row crop only operation is not full time mentally challenging enough for someone who really wants to get into it, unless they're at enormous scale where they're constantly thinking about machinery upgrades and this and that, you know. Otherwise, it's just, it's not interesting enough. It'll, people, the brightest minds will gravitate towards things that challenge them more than, than just picking whether they should plant extend beans or, you know, enlist beans <laughs> next year. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I. So if and we want to uh, keep our people engaged, we've, yeah. Go ahead, finish. No, go ahead. I No. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, I have that feeling all the time. I'm incredibly I mean, a lot of the reasons I do the stuff I do is just I just get bored with the monotony of what row crop agriculture has become and and nothing changes. And, you know, the, the things that people think are like big incremental decisions really are really insignificant in the grand scheme of things. And the, the, the extend uh, and enlist comment is like a perfect example of that, that people, well, whatever. But, uh, um, yeah, and you're, you're right. There's been a constant brain drain you know, and that's been going on for a long time. And there's, there's fewer and fewer, uh, people that have conversations, you know, about stuff like, like this out there, but those are the one, the nice thing about being in this space now is like, it's kind of a gravity well of bringing folks in. And so, um, I, yeah, I, I get to talk to really, really interesting people that are pushing the envelope and, and thinking outside the box. And it's just, um, it's a lot more, um, it's a lot more life-giving for me, like to stay mentally engaged in these type of conversations all the time than talking about enlist versus extend yeah. type type of stuff. hundred percent. It's just, cool. it's just, it's just more I, fun I, yeah. being in the business in this space for me anyway. Well, we can, we can offer young people, we can offer people of all ages, the chances to engage in and try and understand the most complex thing they could possibly try to, which is the interaction of natural systems and agriculture at the same time and really get into it. And we've, we've oversimplified the recipe for commodity agriculture to the point where it's, it's darn near boring for engaging minds. And so we've got to keep the right and best people interested. This is still, you know, like I said, this is our chance to hold on to what's left of the legacy of the Homestead Act, you know, one, one family farm at a time. 
And if, if we don't, one, if there's not opportunity economically, I understood that very well 30 years ago, that's a major deterrent. But another deterrent, like I said, that we can probably help solve is keeping it engaged and interesting and really vibrant to say, this is a, this is a great place to use your mind. This is a great place to like to grow and think infinitely about, about complex problems that you can solve. And so your system is a, is a gateway to helping to understand that it's like a starter kit. It's like a, you know, it's like a telescope. It's like a miniature telescope for a kid trying to look at the stars that wants to be a, you know, an astrologist someday and work at a, a major industrial facility that, you know, takes pictures of, you know, galaxies far away. You got to start somewhere, right? And this is understanding the system well enough to to grow it and scale it into something really neat because we have to stay challenged. So in the Odyssey, right? So Odysseus gets gets captured, right, by Calypso and is held on an island for seven years. And so Calypso, this Greek goddess, she offers Odysseus, he's on his great journey in the Odyssey, right, that Homer's telling about all over the Mediterranean, the known world of the time. And so Calypso, which is this uh, enticing maiden, let's just say that because this is a PG podcast, enticing maiden promises him immortality, food, like feast-like food, uh, entertainment, everything you can want in life. And all he has to do is stay with her. And after seven years of absolute paradise with everything taken care of for him, he runs away, right? Because it's not interesting anymore. It's not exciting. There's no challenge to it. So we mm -hmm. just can't put ourselves, there's no situation where for our next generation, we can put themselves into a problem-free pathway that they'll actually find engaging and interesting enough to stay. We've got to be able to challenge them. Yeah. Hundred percent. So, <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that example, but you brought it home. I liked it. I oh. didn't either. <laughs> I saw Justin's okay, face. Was, well done. I had some idea. <laughs> Are you? What path is this? <laughs> well, okay. Anyway, I get it. Perfect. Yeah. It's a good book. Makes right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, thanks for thanks for helping open people's eyes, Zach, and thanks for providing a system that challenges people and. And gets people talking about about unconventional things and and learning further into systems. It's uh it's fantastic. We all appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. So you yeah. got your oh, field ahead. day Just... every every year. You're having a field day, right, Zach? Yeah. I can expound upon that. I guess. And that'll that be in the summer. Setup. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, field day. How <laughs> uh, you active on social media? Yeah. yeah okay. It's shameless plug time, is what you're telling me. So uh, yeah. So we have a field day where you can come to. We have a. I guess we really didn't talk about that. I have a demonstration uh, uh, plot area on our family farm where we run the cluster clucks and uh, we didn't talk about gap corn, but I do all sorts of different experiments with uh, gaps and light and, and forage mixes and all of these things where if you're interested in these concepts that maybe are outside of the conventional lane, um, folks are welcome to come in. Uh, it, we usually do it the weekend. Uh, we've been doing it the, the Saturday before Labor Day weekend. I don't know. I haven't set that date this next year, but if you look that on the calendar, uh, you know, the Saturday before Labor Day weekend uh, is usually, and we do that so people that work, uh, you know, during the week have the option to come and uh, and see exactly, you know, these things in real life. And that's a good time of the year to visit because everything is full. You can see the, you know, the mature or semi-mature grain, the animals are decent size at that point. And, um, and, and it's, it's great because there's just, you bring people together that from are from all over the, the country that drive long ways to come and interact with other people that kind of are into this farm weird type content. And so um, if, you know, and if, if that date doesn't work and you want to come and see, I'm an open door all the time, just reach out to me on social media or, 
thestockcropper at gmail.com. And uh, I do tours all the time, personal tours throughout the summer. People are passing through. Um, you know, nothing's nothing's off the record. Uh, so um, or nothing's off off limits as far as what we can talk about or show. Uh, just I like to make people think. And uh, if you know, we start what we're doing may not be the answer long term, but if if we can be something that inspires somebody else that's smarter than us to come up with something, I'll be tickled uh if if that's the result from doing this stuff so so we got the the field day um and then um on the social channels um youtube is where if you want to go back and and really get a handle of what we've done over the last four years we've documented that process on youtube so search the stock cropper um we've got our facebook page uh, uh i'm on uh, twitter or x at uh, at zebulus prime um you can put that in the show notes um, i post a lot of stuff on twitter and um, uh, those would be the uh, the, the three biggest uh, platforms. And then our website is uh, the stockcropper at gmail or the stockcropper dot com. I'm sorry. And uh, we're going to be uh, relaunching that here uh, probably before spring. Um, and so we'll actually have uh, we're going to be setting up a uh, specific um, you know pre-order or waiting list for barns uh, you know for the, the initial cluster cluck versions that we'll be be coming out with. But the initial versions, I will say, will be uh, more gauged toward uh, smaller sta- uh, uh, smaller scale stuff. It's much easier to design and manufacture to get the business off the ground that way. And then we the plan will be we will build back in these larger like field scale versions that we started off with. Uh, so that's uh, kind of what we have uh, coming up. And uh, last but not least, um, one of the cool things that we've uh, had happen to us over the last couple of years is that we got filmed by Hollywood in the sequel to the movie Food Inc. 2. And that is going to be debuted uh, uh, in theaters and streaming, I think, this April. And uh, so that's uh, that was a really neat thing that we we somehow stumbled into, and I uh, went out and saw the uh, the premiere of that at the Telluride Film Festival on a last Labor Day weekend, and really happy with how that that movie uh, turned out. Uh, so yeah, so the stock cropper has one of the primary storylines uh, within uh, within the, the the course of that movie too. So that's another thing to check out. That is awesome. awesome. A lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah, and definitely. Yeah, like you said, go to the YouTube channel. Uh, if, if you're visualizing this and you have questions about it, go to the YouTube channel. You'll see them all in yep. action. It's great, great stuff. So appreciate the time, Zach. Um, as always, to our listeners, thanks for listening. If you have uh, comments, questions, and graze it, harvest it, rent it out scenarios, you got to email them in. Ritz and Ruminants at gmail.com. So appreciate you listening. Take care. Thank you.